0: Tonight, though, we're closing out Deuteronomy, picking up in chapter 33. I picked for a key verse in this chapter, verse 3, where it says, Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. When they sit down at your feet, everyone receives your words. So God loves the people. God's blessing of love, I titled the overall teaching tonight, And we find in verse one, now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And much like Abraham blessing Isaac, Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau, and Jacob blessing his 12 sons, now Abraham, as a father, Over the nation of Israel, he had been leading them for the last 40 years. So he may not have um, birthed them, but he certainly can be viewed as a father of the nation. He is especially called here the man of God. So a man of God, blessing the people of God, blessing the tribe of Israel. And this man of God, it's in Moses' psalm that's found in Psalm 90. The superscription reads, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So this is a term that is picked up again, and we can all be men and women of God. But I think for Moses, he stood out in a special way. He was God's representative to the people for 40 years, and he gives them this blessing In picking up in verse 2, And the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Sire, and he shone forth from Mount Mount Paran, and he came with 10,000 of his saints, and from his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loved the people, and all the saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us and a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he was with king. He was king. This is talking about the Lord. He was king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people were gathered and all the tribes of Israel together. So that's the blessing. I just want to break down a few things as I read through there. He's talking about the Lord coming from Sinai. Sinai was the mountain where God gave Israel the Ten Commandments. Other times in Deuteronomy it's referred to as Mount Horeb. But here where the law came to the people where light, notice in verse 2, he dawned on them and he shone forth. So, po- poetically referring to god's light coming upon children of israel there in the wilderness and he came with 10,000 of his saints this is really the language of a holy war and it's repeated for us by jude in jude verses 14 and 15 where jude tells us in the new testament now enoch the seventh from adam prophesied about these men also saying behold the lord comes with 10000 of his saints so the same phrase used there no doubt jude picking it up from deuteronomy chapter 33 and god comes to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners has spoken against him so this is the lord coming with his saints to bring judgment but here for israel referring to their conquering and it's a judgment but the conquering of the promised land and taking that land as a possession the fiery law once again referred to the ten commandments and God sitting with his saints as people sitting at his feet receiving his words god's hand Uh, over them it really shows god's protective love for his people they are in his hands his watchful care as they sit at his feet and receive his words thus receiving and obeying walking in the ways of the lord and that we looked at the word last week just it was also found in chapter 32 and uh really an affectionate term of God to the nation of Israel. The name itself means to be upright. So he was king. God was king. There in the Old Testament and during the period of the judges until after the time of Samuel, God was king. They had no earthly king and that would take place for three to four hundred years. They were held as a people together because of the law of God and the faith that they had in God. And their law was able to, through faith in God and the worship that they have, be able to establish their nation as a theocracy, a nation that was governed by God, governed by God through the laws, the judges, the priests, and the prophets. And this Moses, that Stephen referred to in Acts 7:38, This is he, referring to Moses, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles and gave to us. So the man of God, Moses, blessing the children of God. And then he goes on to bless the tribes within... He doesn't name every one. He excludes Simeon for some reason. But we begin in verse 6, a blessing for Reuben. Very short blessing, but nonetheless a blessing. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. So Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob to his wife Leah, And as the firstborn, he should have received the blessing of his father, should have succeeded his father with the blessing and the double portion given to the firstborn, but he had sexual relations with one of his father's concubines, one of his wives, and so he never received that blessing that was rightfully his by inheritance, but he blew it. And so Moses here, expressing the desire for the tribe of Reuben to continue and that they would grow and enlarge itself in Israel. And that's interesting because Reuben determined to settle on the east side of the Jordan River as their inheritance. It was not the promised land proper and historically uh, they would, though they began well, they would eventually drift away as one of the tribes of Israel, they always remain, of course, but they were first to fall into captivity because they didn't say near as they could have. They inherited outside the promised land proper, as did Manasseh and Ephraim, not Ephraim, Gad, uh, also fe- fell in that same category. For Judah, he had uh, also a one-verse blessing. He says, of Judah, in verse 7, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people, and let his hands be sufficient for him, that you may be a help against his enemies. So Judah, the birth of each son, Leah, and these are all right now the sons of Leah, uh, Jacob's first wife, though she came to him by deception of their father, Jacob's father-in-law, She bore him six sons. And here Judah, he's the fourth son, though listed second here in this blessing, but the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. And she always desired the love of her husband, was not receiving that love. Remember, Jacob got deceived. He wasn't anticipating waking up On his wedding morning, the very next day, waking up with Rachel's sister with him, and not Rachel, but with the birth of each son, she had names for them that often kind of played into, perhaps he'll love me now. I've given him three sons. But this is the fourth son, and by this time she just named him Praise. And that's what Judah means, Praise. We know that this becomes the kingly line from which David and his descendants, and ultimately Christ, would come. But it seems that this blessing is speaking of warfare, that God would be a help to them. That they would be sufficient for the battles that are set before them. Levi, another son of Jacob and Leah, and verses 8 through 11, this is the priestly line. So he says of Levi, Let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you have tested at Massa, and with whom you contend with the waters of Mirabah who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers, or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and the whole burnt offering or burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance. Lord, and accept the work of his hands, strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. So Jacob and Leah's third son, Levi, and here of the priestly line referring to the Thummim and the Urim, or Urim, but referring to the device that the high priest wore to determine the will of God and these stones that the high priest carried in the um, breastplate were a way that they determined the will of God it was a responsibility for the priestly line but also the tribe of Levi as those who were not priests were able to serve at the temple serve at the tabernacle and assist the priest we even find in Nehemiah that they're teaching the people so they became teachers in Israel as mentioned here it's kind of odd the way it's worded in verse 9. It says to his father and mother, I've not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children. And this might be referring to their lack of not receiving an inheritance in the promised land. They were scattered throughout the promised land as teachers, but they did not receive an inheritance their proper in the promised land. So Moses and Aaron, they had been tested at Meribah. It's a word that means contention. And in Exodus 17, 6 and 7, it's mentioned the testing of Moses and Aaron there. But Exodus 16, Exodus 17, 6 and 7, it says, Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, You shall strike the rock and the water will come out of it and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. So he called the name of that place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means contention because of the contention of the children of Israel. And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So this was a place of testing, but it also became a place of testing for the children of Israel and the tribe of Levi at that time. So blessing for Benjamin in verse 12 of Benjamin, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all the day long. And he shall, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. So I had to reread that a few times and, uh, This is uh, poetic, the way it's written out in my Bible. So it's not written in paragraphs, but it's like poetic lines, and they go to each line. And when they do that in the Bible, they're always capitalizing. Even if it's not the end of a sentence, it's the middle of a sentence. They capitalize the word in the next line. And so I reread this a few times. The beloved of the Lord, dwelling in safety by Him, he shall dwell between his shoulders. So I'm trying to figure out by looking at it, who's the him, who's the he being referred to? Is it God or is it Benjamin? And uh, it appears that yes, both, in the use of where it's at in the sentence itself, they shall dwell in safety by him, by God, but he shall dwell he, Benjamin, shall dwell between God's shoulders. This is felt that uh, this might be a reference of Jerusalem and the mountains of Jerusalem, but also the fact that the temple, the tabernacle, ultimately moved there to Jerusalem, and it was in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin didn't have a huge territory, but Jerusalem was part of their territory in the southern portion their territory and uh the 12th son of jacob and the second son of rachel as she died giving birth to him whom uh, rachel named son of my sorrow and jacob in being merciful to his son named him son of my right hand a blessing for joseph contains a large section verses 13 through 17 Blessed of the Lord is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew, with the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth in the fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the brush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph in the on the crown of his head of him who is separated from his brothers. His glory be like the firstborn bull, and his horns like the horns of the wild ox. Together with them, he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are thousands of Manasseh. So Jacob's eleventh son, Joseph, but Rachel's firstborn, his name meant. Remover and Jacob's. Well, as we know, he became Jacob's favorite, partly b- believed because he was the son of Rachel and he loved Rachel and uh, ended up with Leah and then married Rachel the very next night. Had to serve her for seven years, uh, serve his father in law for seven years for the right to marry rachel so all together 14 for the two women and then their handmaids became his wife so he ended up with four wives and uh everyone knew joseph became that favorite son but he received the birthright and the double portion given to joseph instead of reuben and that is spread out through his two sons jacob claimed Joseph's sons, tell Joseph, any boy that you have after this time, they are yours, but Ephraim and Manasseh, they are mine. And so they became two tribes, and normally um, Joseph is not listed with the 12 tribes, but here he is listed. But it goes on to explain that within Joseph is Manasseh and Ephraim, two tribes that were powerful in warfare and large in population. Zubalin and Issachar. And he said to Zublin, verse 18, Rejoice, Zublin, in your going out in Issachar in your tents. Verse 19, they shall call the people to the mountains. They shall call the peoples to the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they are, shall partake of the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. So we notice this also in the blessing of Joseph. I mean, it, it talked about produce and uh, agriculture. It talked about the animals, things hidden beneath, and this we'll see this recurring. That even to this day, there are those who believe that these blessings God is referring to not only the blessings that they could see by the produce that which is um, fruitful on top of the land, but the blessings that were hidden beneath. Um, And especially today, they're talking about the huge oil and gas reserves found in Israel. And touching on that, maybe in these verses, some would say that these are fulfillment of prophecies coming from passages like this. But God's blessing being upon them, the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. Now, Zublin talks about the abundance of the seas. It could be that they were men who were seafaring men, but they were landlocked. They actually settled between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. So they had no uh, ocean, had no large lake like the Sea of Galilee on their borders But some may suggest that this is referring to still a future event during Jesus' millennial reign. Issachar, some believing that hidden treasure in the sand, referring to the oil and gas reserves that's been discovered here recently in Israel. A blessing for Gad. Gad, verse 20 and 21. Blessed is he who enlarges Gad, he dwells as a lion and t- tears the arm and the crown of the, his head. He provided the first part for himself because the lawgiver's portion was reserved there. He came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord, his judgments with Israel. This is Jacob and uh, Leah's handmaid Zilpha, Jacob's seventh son, and his name Gad means troop. And although raiding armies came against them, they would not be trampled, but would triumph over these armies. The Gadites would join David. In 1 Chronicles 12:8, described them as mighty men of valor, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. And so, these this was a warrior clan. In the nation of Israel, and a blessing for Dan. In verse 22, Dan is a lion's well; he shall leap from Bashan. So this may refer to Dan's conquest of the land of Laish. Laish was uh, northern Israel, very beautiful area, very tropical up in that area. Um, water flowing from the base of the mountain Hermon. And one of the tributary heads there, one of three tributary heads of the Jordan River, coming in this area that Dan took as their possession, it wasn't the possession that was allotted for them, but it was a possession that was outside the Promised Land proper, just north of Israel. Israel has control of that area today, or a portion of it at least and Lily and I've seen it it's a very beautiful area we could see why they would want to settle there but also Dan was in Genesis 49 17 when Jacob blessed his sons he referred to Dan being a serpent and a viper and they would be a tribe that would help lead their nation into idolatry they were the first tribe that did worship idols And one of the um, places of worship, when Israel divided into two nations, the ten northern tribes to the north and the southern tribes of Judah to the south, when they divided, one of the false altars was set up there in Dan, the other in Bathsheba. Naphtali, of Naphtali, verse 23, satisfied with favor and full of blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. And so Israel's sixth son and the second child of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, his name meant my wrestling. And all the disciples, I found this interesting, all the disciples except for the traitor, Judas came from the territory of Naphtali. And much of the ministry of the Lord took place in that area in the Galilee. Asher mentioned in verses 24 through 26 of Asher, he is most blessed of the sons. Let him be favored by his brothers. Let him dip his foot in oil. Once again, uh, some taking this as prophecy about the gas and oil reserves. Let him dip his foot in oils, your sandals shall be iron and bronze as your day so shall your strength be so his name means happy he's the eighth son of israel his mother's was zilpha leah's handmaid he settled in a rich fertile area in the northern coast of the promised land and again that oil may refer to uh, oil that we speak about, it could refer to an abundance of olive groves and the oil that would come from that. Simeon was missing, as I mentioned before we read through any of these names. Simeon's missing, and it doesn't give us a reason why. It's just not named there. In joshua 19 1 it says the second lot came out for simeon for the tribe of the children of simeon according to their families and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of judah this could be the thought behind their not being named they would be absorbed into the tribe of judah so joshua 19 1 tells us that their inheritance was within the inheritance of judah and so they were such a small tribe that they were absorbed there within the tribe of Judah. All 12 are named in Revelation, the book of Revelation again. And uh, in that listing, Dan and Ephraim are missing. And we find in Ezekiel 48, in verses 1 through 8, that both Dan and Ephraim are numbered again with the 12. So sometimes... We have all 12 listed as we're accustomed to, minus the tribe of Levi. Other times, like here, Levi is mentioned. And if Levi is mentioned, somebody has to be missing. You can't have 13. So they are the 13 tribes, but they're known as the 12 tribes of Israel. So he closes out verses 26 through 29. There is no one like the Lord God of Jeshuram who rides the heavens to help you in his excellency on the clouds so poetic way of depicting god as being sovereign over his creation using the elements to aid israel the eternal god is your refuge and underneath our everlasting arms he will thrust out the enemies from before you and will say destroy and israel shall dwell safely the fountains of Jacob alone in the land of grain and new wine, his heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, a shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you. You shall tread down their high places. So Moses' final words to the children of Israel there in those verses, uh, the blessing came first and then I began with a blessing and then he blessed specific tribes within Israel and then he closed with the blessing verses 26 through 29, the final words of Moses to the children of Israel. They were entering into the promised land where there would be many battles to come, but the Lord would watch over his nation. He would bless them and he would give them a new home for their people. Psalm 33:12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who has chosen, he has chosen as his own inheritance. So I said the key verse, verse 3, yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand, they sit down at your feet, everyone receives your word. It's a beautiful picture, I believe, of the believers in Jesus Christ as well. The saints are in the hands of God. Um, we sit down at the feet of the Lord. We receive the word of God. And God loves us. He loves us in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. It says, In this is the love of God. It was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God loves us. Number two, we are in his hands, and Jesus talks about this as well. In John 10, 27 through 30, My sheep hear my voice, the Lord says, and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand and my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand I and my Father are one so like Israel we as the church today were loved by the Lord we're in the hand of the Lord and in response to this we are to sit at the feet of the Lord. And this is a form of sitting at the feet of the Lord, feeding on the word of God. But Luke 10:39 tells us of Mary, who it says specifically of her that she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. And so Mary, every time she's mentioned the sister of Lazarus and Martha, she's found in the Bible, she's always at the feet of Jesus. And it's a good place to be. And in response to God's love, we are to receive his words. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And may the Lord reveal his love toward us. May we know that we are being kept safely in his hands. And in response, may we daily sit at the feet of Jesus, receive his word into our hearts. So we close out the last chapter of Deuteronomy chapter 34, a key verse, verse 10, but since then there is not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So the unique relationship that Moses had with the Lord and then declared that there was basically no prophet like Moses. They're not arisen since that day. So the last chapter in Deuteronomy, we are given the eulogy of Moses, one of the greatest servants in the Bible. He was a man who had a unique beginning, being placed in the ark of bulrushes and then sat in the Nile River just to be found by the daughter of Pharaoh, who ultimately raised him as her son. And for 40 years, according to Acts 7.22, Moses learned the wisdom of Egypt, but it would take more than the wisdom of Egypt for Moses to lead the people of God. Therefore, God trained up Moses for another 40 years in the Midian desert, where he learned the ways of a shepherd. And although Moses had a sense of the calling of God when he was 40 years old, he neglected to understand that God often takes time to prepare his servants. Then at the age of 80, when God finally called him and said, go to Egypt for me and deliver the children of Israel, Moses told the Lord, I think you got the wrong person. Get someone else. There's got to be a younger man out there somewhere. Somebody, anybody but me. And yet to Moses' surprise, God still planned on using him as the instrument of his deliverance. So one through four, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, all the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, and the south and the plain of the Valley of Jericho and the city of palm trees, as far as. Zohar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Meribah became that place of contention. It was a misstep for Moses and Aaron. It would cost them their sin at that place. It would cost them their life. It was the second time God originally when. The people cried out for water, and they were thirsty. First time, God said to Moses, strike the rock. The second time, God said to Moses, speak to the rock. But the second time, Moses yelled at the people and said, how long do we have to put up with you? And he struck the rock, even struck it twice. The water, God's grace, the water still poured forth, but God told Moses and Aaron, because of your disobedience, you cannot enter the promised land. 120 years of preparing and bringing the people to come into the promised land just to not be able to enter yourself. Now, unlike Aaron, Moses had the privilege at least to see the land. And we don't know if this was a supernatural sight that the Lord gave him because it describes a bit of the promised land looking all the way over to the mediterranean sea and i guess if you get high enough on a mountain you'll be able to see quite a bit but they gave a lot of detail in the description and so maybe some of these things came to him in a vision seeing the land itself but god commanded him in numbers 27 12 and 13 go up on this mountain see the land which i've given the children of israel And when you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. So God swore to him he'd get to see the land. But then God would take him a land that God What really stood out to me here in verse four. God said, I swore to give this to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. This is like with Abraham 600 years plus earlier. And then we start counting down to each descendant, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. So we're talking about 600 years and God's saying, Look, Moses, I'm fulfilling my covenant that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Psalm 105, 8 through 11, it says he remembers his covenant forever the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he has made with Abraham, his oath to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance. Sadly, the battle, and we know this very well, for the promised land continues to be fought to this day. So Moses dies. I have Deuteronomy 34, 58, but it's supposed to be 5 through 8. Those dashes can be important sometimes. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. According to the word of the Lord, he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. They would have just made it an altar of worship if they had known. So God did well by hiding his grave. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor dis- diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. So Moses had a unique death, being allowed to see the promised land before he died, but also being buried by God, it appears. And even after 120 years, even though last week we read Moses saying, I can't go with you, he said, I'm no longer able to go in and go out, a term that is used for the kings of Israel to bring the men to war and to bring them back in. And so he's saying that I don't have the strength for this any longer, but it tells us in verse 7 that, Even at 120 years old, his eyes were not dim. I wish that could be said of me. His natural vigor not diminished. I wish that could be said of me. At 60, I'm I'm half his age, a little older. Half his age, and uh, those things are diminishing on me seemingly quickly, too quickly for my desire. But no doubt Moses' true strength was in the Lord. And that can be our true strength as well. 1 Kings 8.53 says, For you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance. As you spoke to your servant Moses when you brought your fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So the servant of Yahweh, Moses, was a unique servant of Yahweh, 9-12. through Now, Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses has laid his hand on him. And so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, there is not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all his servants, for all his lands and that by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. God had not left Israel without a leader. Joshua would be a warrior and would help them gain conquest in the promised land. Joshua himself living to be 110 years old and probably right around 80 years old um, when... He would enter into the promised land. We do know that Caleb would give the age of 85 uh, when they had conquered a bit of the promised land and Caleb would request his inheritance and he would say that I'm 85 years old and I'm just as strong as I was when we came in and spied the land and it kind of assumed that Joshua and Caleb were on the same age at that time but we are given Joshua's age when he died at 110 and though he was a great leader and the needed leader for Israel he was not Moses no one would be like Moses Moses knew the lord face to face Joshua would have to commune with the lord through the priest as it should be Moses uh, just went and before the lord himself So Moses' life between his birth and his death was divided into three equal portions. Forty years he was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians, mighty in words and deed. Second, forty years he became a sojourner in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And his final forty years he brought Israel out of Egypt and shown them the wonders, the signs of the lands of Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness. His greatest legacy though was perhaps written in verse 10 where it said he knew the Lord face to face now that legacy can't be written of us now but one day when we're in heaven we'll get to see the Lord face to face I look forward to that day and I hope you do as well the Word of God tells us in 1st Corinthians 13 12 now we look in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known just as I am known. So, in each stage of Moses' life, there was a progression of faith. And I think this is something to consider as we close out this teaching. Initially, Moses... had a family who had faith in God. Moses had no control of what would happen to his life as a baby, but Moses' parents saw him, and saw he was a special child, and they spared him, at least tried to save him. They didn't know what would become of him, but they took steps in making that ark, placing it in the Nile. His being adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh, that was God working in his behalf, of course. So there's a progression of faith that's exemplified by his family and then discovered by himself and finally shared with others as a miracle worker, as a deliverer, a lawgiver, a prophet. Moses is the most diverse, most talented leader, perhaps in the Old Testament. And Moses' story reminds believers that faith first needs to be exemplified. And that's something our parents, or we as parents, can do for our children. But it also needs to be discovered. Every person has to come to faith in Jesus Christ personally. It's nothing that anyone else can do for them. They have to receive Christ as their Savior. And once we know Jesus, then we grow in our faith, we're being instructed in our faith, then we need to pass it on to others. And I pray that we would do so. Lord, we can't be like Moses. He's a great man from the Old Testament and still talked about and honored among the Jews to this day. And among Christians as well, Lord. You have given a... The law came through Moses And the law was a tutor to point us to Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for this man and for uh, these teachings that we've had from Genesis to Deuteronomy, these five books that traditionally have been accredited to Moses. Help us, Lord, to take the things that we learn from your word and apply them in our world today, in our lives today. Help us, Lord, to set examples, be examples for our children, for others around us. And help us, Lord, to desire to sit at your feet, knowing that we are firmly in your hand, that you love us, and help us, Lord, to receive your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Coming up on Sunday, Pastor Kevin is going to be presenting Sunday's message for us. We're going to do Christmas all this month, on Sundays at least. And uh, I started a two-part message, kind of got it mixed up in my head last week, thinking I had two weeks in a row and then Kevin, and then I was reminded that I'd already promised Kevin to be able to teach on the 10th, so I'm still doing my two-part message but just got a week in between. And uh, Kevin presenting the Word of God for us this coming Sunday. Reminder, WLGS playing all Christmas music right now, and you can find that uh, through our app, WLGS.com. You can find information about it there on our church's webpage as well. Um, There's a lot of different ways that you can find us now. Uh, Be praying for that and that God will bless this Christmas season in our lives as well. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace.